0: Jesus rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. But he said to them, Doubtless you will say, Do here in your hometown the things that we have heard you did at Capernaum. But the truth is there were many widows in Israel in the time of Elijah when there was a severe famine over all the land. Yet Elijah was sent to none of them except to a widow at Zarephath in Sidon. There were also many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. All in the synagogue were filled with rage." They drove him out of the town and led him to the brow of the hill so that they might hurl him off the cliff. But he passed through the midst of them and went on his way. This is the word of the Lord. Eleven months ago, we were again in Israel our first time in fourteen years. We had seen the big, sprawling city perched at the top of a hill, now 80,000 strong. We had seen the little reconstructed village of 250, like the one when Jesus lived there. We had seen sheep and goats and burros. We had seen a carpenter working with the very primitive tools of 2,000 years ago. We had seen women weaving with the very impoverished uh, materials they had for making clothing for their children. Now the guide asked, have you been to the precipice where they were willing to throw Jesus off? I said, no. Well, she said there's a much better road up there now because Pope Benedict XVI wanted to say Mass there just two years ago in 2009. She told the driver what to do. We... Went on this winding road in the bus, up, 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 finally into a very large parking lot, and she said, Come with me. We all followed her, and we continued to climb and climb until suddenly we were on a precipice. I don't like heights. I started backing up like this. Jason and Janet and Gail and our granddaughter Abby were peering over down the hill. It was a scary place. How could these villagers want to hurl one of their own down the top of that hill into the valley below? Four things here. Number one, first begins by saying, All were amazed at his gracious words. It literally says in the Greek, All were amazed at his words of grace. Everybody needs to hear a word of grace. Everybody needs to hear someone say, you know all those prophecies made 600 years ago by 2nd Isaiah? They've come true. I have good news for you. Things are getting better. Lily Shockney has written that she wanted to be a nurse from the time she was a little girl. She said, my mother saved a picture of me when I was four I'd ask Santa Claus for anything and everything having to do with nursing, and I'd open my presents that Christmas morning, and I looked like a little nurse. I was four, but I held on to that vision all the way through my schooling. I became a nurse at Johns Hopkins Hospital in Baltimore. Served 30 years as a nurse there when suddenly I was diagnosed with cancer of the breast It was already spread. I would have to have a radical mastectomy, and that was probably just the beginning of my troubles. My husband was wonderful, could not have been better. The morning came for my surgery. He was holding tightly to my hand as we got out of the car, 5.30 in the morning. This was the place I worked. I knew enough to be really frightened about what was about to be done to me. For almost 30 years, I'd walked through this lobby right off Broadway, and I'd seen this big statue, marble, 10 feet tall, of Jesus, the divine healer. Every morning as I'd gone into work, I'd just reach and touch his feet with my hand as I went by. That morning, she said, I was trying to remember the words of all those hymns I'd heard my mother sing when she was in the choir at the Little Methodist Church where I'd grown up. Familiar, wonderful things. The music, I remembered best of all. The words came to me. Suddenly we were inside the hospital. I saw the chaplain, 5.30 in the morning. I asked him, what are you doing here at this ungodly hour? He walked over to me, took me by the hand, caught the hand of my husband, and said, I want to pray with you. And then he said, Lord, we three are not strangers to you. We know you. More importantly, you know us. And we know there are no ungodly hours. There are no ungodly hours. There are no ungodly places. God wants good to come to all of his children in every time and every place. They were amazed at his words of grace. But then he said to them, Doubtless you will say to me, Why are you not doing here in your hometown what you're doing down the road 22 miles at Capernaum? And Luke, in writing this, knows that Capernaum was known for having a large goyim, non-Jewish, Gentile population along with the Jews who lived there. Do you know what it would have meant to that little village where 250 people were trying to eke out a living if Jesus had done something really special there? Let me help you. Gail and I have been to several of these significant places. Lourdes in France. A hundred and fifty-four years ago, a little 14-year-old girl with two of her friends wandered a little farther than usual from their home about a mile to a cave, a grotto where there was a spring. And this little 14-year-old girl named Bernadette would say she saw the lady. The little friends, they tried to dissuade her. The parents told her not tell anybody this. They would think she was losing her mind, and she was never to go to the cave again. But in fact, she went again and again and again, 17 times in the next 12 months. And for 154 years, others have been going. Pope John Paul II was there three times. Pope Benedict XVI has already been there once since he became pope. And there are thousands who come every day. The Roman Catholic Church has tried to find out whether people are really being healed or not. Of the thousands who've come there to pray, they can document what they think are 67. 67 in 154 years. But all the coffee shops are full. All the souvenir stores are doing good business and every hotel room is booked. Have you been to Guadalupe in Mexico? 481 years ago, when the conquistadors came, they brought with them Roman Catholic priests And one of those priests was instrumental in helping a young Aztec accept the Lord Jesus and be baptized. A few days later, this young Indian said to him, I saw the Holy Mother. She told me to build a church here. His priest said, you've been out in the sun too long, my son. Go home and lie down. You'll feel better shortly. But he would say that when he crossed over the hill and down into the next valley, suddenly there were flowers, hundreds of them he had not seen just two days before. And he saw the lady who told him to take the serape from around his neck and spread it out on the ground to gather these flowers and to place them in the serape to tie up the ends and take them to the priest. When the priest untied and removed the flowers, he said, there was in the fabric the image of the Holy Mother. 481 years ago, today all the coffee shops are full, all the souvenir stores are doing good business, and all the hotel rooms are booked. 101 years before Guadalupe, in Poland at Szczestekowa, the Black Madonna, we've been there with our boys Shostakova, where the buses have to park six blocks away because of a famed black Madonna. Her face made black by the smoke of candles in the church over hundreds of years. But it was in 1430 that the Hussites came. They stole this Madonna, started galloping off down the road. The Polish folk are right behind them. There's a terrible battle. It was said that two slashes of a sword went down across the face of this icon, and they began to ooze blood almost 600 years ago. All the coffee shops are full. The souvenir stores are doing bumper business. All the hotel rooms are booked. The buses parked blocks away. What would it have meant to Nazareth if he'd done just one little miracle? What it would have meant to those people? So they're not happy. Number three. So Jesus reminds them of their own scriptures. Remember First Kings, there's a story about our man Elijah. Rabbi Gunther Plout, Rabbi Nehum Sarna say that second to Moses only is Elijah in all the Hebrew scriptures. Three and a half years, it didn't rain. There were no crops, people were starving to death. Elijah decided this was a time for a contest between the prophets of Baal and And Israel's God, you remember, up on Mount Carmel. But he was sent to a widow. It's a passive voice verb here. He was sent, God sent him, not to one of the many widows in Israel, but to a widow in Zarephath, near Sidon, in Syria, a Goyim, a Gentile. It was the Gentile widow he helped. Turn the page. 2 Kings. Elijah dies. He is succeeded by Elisha. There is a commander of the Syrian army who has leprosy. He has in his household a Jewish girl, a young slave who was captured on one of the raids into Israel. She says to the woman of the house, If only he could know the prophet of the God of Israel, he could be healed. So Naaman packs up lots of gold, heads south for Elisha's house. He calls out to Elisha. Elisha won't even come out. But he tells him to go wash in the Jordan River. Naaman says, we got bigger rivers where I come from, far bigger, more important rivers where I've come from. And an aide says, why don't you try it? Wash yourself in the river. He went into the river and he was cleansed. Assyrian. Goyim, a gentile whom god healed through the prophet jesus might have said and what about jonah remember when god said jonah i want you to go preach to the ninevites that sinful city of the assyrians that would have been north and east jonah went down to Joppa and took a ship going south and west 180 degrees opposite direction There's a terrible storm. He finally confesses to the sailors, well, you're in a terrible storm because God wanted me to go north and east, and I went south and west, so they threw him overboard. The story says a great fish gulped him down and spit him out upon the bank of the Mediterranean. God came by and said, let's try that again. I want you to go that way to Nineveh. So he started out, got to Nineveh, had one little sermon. The God of Israel says, If you repent, if you're turned in a different direction, good things will happen to you. Everybody, including the king, repented, put on sackcloth and ashes, and Jonah sat down and pouted. God said, What's the matter with you? And he said, I knew this would happen. It's why I didn't want to come. Because I know you're a God who's gracious merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. You see, we can't constrain the grace of God. It's for Israel. It's also for Syria. It's for Israel. It's also for Assyria. It's for Jews. It's also for Gentiles. It's for people who go to church and it's for people who never go. God just loves them all. All. So they hoist him up to the precipice ready to throw him off. And Luke says, but he just passed through them and went on his way. There's nothing they can do to him Because God has something more important yet for him to do. He will go to Jerusalem. He will be handed over for people to make a decision about who he is and what he's come to do. And sinful people will see to it that he is put to death. He will be raised by the power of God. He will. So what are the people of Nazareth called to do and be? What are the people that Boston Avenue called to do and be. You know, I'd never read the books of Dr. Charles L. Allen. Never. I was with him all those years in Houston and he was putting out a new book every year. And I was afraid if I read them, I might include something in a sermon that I'd forgotten just where I'd read. And people, well, he just, you know, quotes Charles, he's just using Charles Allen's stuff. So every year he wrote a new book, and he had autographed one to Gail and me, and I'd put it on the shelf, and I've had them all these years. And last summer I was looking through my library, and I said, gee, I've never read all of Dr. Allen's books. And so I started taking them home with me, one after the other at night, and reading, reading. read a story when he was a little boy. He was born in 1913. He lived 92 years. Gail and I went for his funeral. I participated in his funeral. Born in 1913, his father was a Methodist preacher. Methodist preachers in 1913 in rural Georgia made almost nothing. They lived in parsonages, hot in the summer, cold, cold in the winter. Dr. Allen told in this particular book that when he was a little boy, just at the end of World War I, they were all huddled around that old fireplace in the parsonage one night because the house was drafty and cold. And he said, my father decided to tell us a story. His father had grown up on a farm in rural Georgia, a little bitty farm. They barely ever had more than enough to eat. He said, his father said he was a little boy, maybe a year older than you are, Charles. When my father said to me just before Christmas, would you like to go with me on the wagon into town? I would, Papa. Okay, he said, let's you and me go. They harnessed the horse to the wagon, and they rode into town. He said, as I started to get down off the wagon, my papa reached in his pocket and handed me a dime. Now listen to me. This is not long after the war between the states, the great civil war. Georgia's been burned to the ground, and this father said, I had never had a dime before, never, I ran into the mercantile store with a dime in my hand. I saw an orange. I'd never had an orange. I'd seen a picture of an orange. Never had had one. I saw a banana. I saw toys, toys you could buy for 10 cents. I was running chef to chef, chef to chef. I couldn't figure out what to do with my dime. I heard my papa called out after a while. I'm about through, boy. We're about to go home. Hurry. I ran and bought something I'd seen. The woman must have known it was all I had, a dime, so she wrapped it for me, free. I climbed up on the wagon seat by my papa, and we started home. We'd gone about halfway, and he said, what'd you buy? I said, I bought something for you. For me? He tore into it. It was the biggest red handkerchief I could find. A bandana, some people call them, he said. You can wrap it around your neck, keeps out a little of the cold wind in the winter. You can wrap it around your neck, keeps some of the sweat from running down your back. He was thrilled. He hugged me. Dr. Allen wrote in his book I heard my father tell that story over and over. I think it made him very happy to know that the very gift that had been given to him by his father, he gave back to his father.